0: Back again with Coley and Kavanaugh for part two, and we're going to try and peel this onion back now for you. John, I'd like to start with you because you have been talking about tighter corn supplies for a long time. I mean, more than almost anybody else I know of. At least four months you've been saying, these (laughs) corn supplies are tight. Do these numbers make you think that they're maybe even tighter?
1: Oh, fuck. Gosh, yes. A little bit on the scary side, and I don't think it's going to end up this way in the final numbers, but that's another issue right there. But as I mentioned, the corn acres are 4 million below a year ago, and we already have a relatively tight corn situation on our hands today. And if you take those 4 million acres out and you put in a trend line yield, and and I'm going to call a trend line is somewhere around 180, 181, but I'm going to say that let's look at a 178 to a 181 yield, which would be a record yield by the way that's, that means a really good crop year and even with that kind of a yield and you take the kind of demand numbers we're looking at we're going to take corn supplies next years down to the vicinity of 1 billion to maybe 1.2 billion Ooh. and that's extremely tight uh, actually we're considered to be out of corn when the carryover gets down to 1.2 billion so you can see that i've said that we have no room for air or very little room for air we're not less than that I don't know what lesson that is, (laughs) but we even with a record yield, we could be extremely tight. That's very price bullish, and I think the job of the market is clearly to get the price ratio between corn and soybeans such that we get some of those corn acres back into soybeans, and you can put me on record right now that we have our June crop report, or certainly when we get our final crop numbers, we are going to see more corn acres planted than what we saw on Thursday. David, take me a task on that. And I tell farmers right now to go out there. We're going to see corn prices go higher. Go ahead and plant more corn acres. Don't worry about the input costs. But be sure you like in your price, too. Don't sit there
0: and play (laughs) You know, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, we've oftentimes kidded about it. A farmer looks around and says, well, if everybody's planting corn, I guess I'm going to plant soybeans. I wonder (laughs) if this is one of those years. But David, if things are this tight going in, I got to believe that any blip in the weather is going to make for a wildly volatile weather market.
2: Yeah. And I'll tell you, the whole summer mix right now is up for grabs because the last few weeks I've been seeing people talking about La Nina, waning, it's called going to go to neutral this summer, which would make us a better weather pattern. But then at the end of the week, I saw a guy put out, he says, no, no, the La Nina is going to continue at these levels, which would mean a hot and dry summer, which a lot of people have been predicting. So the point is, it won't be either a neutral pattern, but it may go toward neutral this summer, which would, by the middle end of summer, would make better weather for us. But I do see a hotter and drier summer to begin with. But that wouldn't be the first possible case, Rob.
0: David, you had mentioned this, that, and I think a lot of people that that maybe the shift in prospective planted acres was all about the high costs of inputs, but are there other factors involved here?
2: Yeah, I think that they're looking at the demand that we've been seeing recently. The bean demand has been phenomenal, but hiding in the wings, the corn demand has not been as good as possible. Yeah, we had the export sale unknown on Friday, and there've been rumors that China was wanting to buy some this week. John pointed out that to me on Monday. But the thing I want to stress the most is that here in the short term, the bean exports are kind of giving us a little less demand than we think. And so that could be affecting the bottom number that could bring the carryover number up to build more comfortable between like 1.25 to 1.3. Oh, but it Yet it's that's still, still very, tight.
1: very, very tight. I agree that we haven't seen China come in and buy the corn out, out of the U.S. this year that that I thought and many other analysts thought, but it's not over yet. But uh, I will point out that the, there is some thinking out there that China is waiting for the Brazilian safrina crop to come in in July when that's being harvested and available to the marketplace. You could see corn prices drop and it's going to be corn available out of South America, cheaper values than the U.S., and they're waiting on that. The question is, can they wait that long? I don't know. That remains to be seen. I, I'm just going to have to see how it shakes out. The
2: latest is, remember, they had a bunch of corn book from Ukraine, and they're trying to source rice to feed these animals out there, say, because they like the starch content or protein or anything else. But why would they want to feed rice? It's cheaper, yeah, but it's not the better feed.
0: I wanted to talk about something here that uh, is a kind of a reflection of what's going on in Ukraine, and you know, the, some of the issues that 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 developed out of that. John, t- at times in the past. You've said farmers can make money planting almost anything at this point. Here's two of them that were kind of curious to me in, I guess, comparison to one another. And first of all, with regard to veg oil, that the sunflower oil that would be coming typically out of Ukraine if the acreage is back there, then that obviously makes sense then that sunflower acres here in the U.S. are up. 10% from last year. I go along with that. But uh, John, you've said before that you can make money on anything and brought sorghum up. But sorghum acres in the report down 15% from last year. And with China buying sorghum, that doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, I guess I have to study that one. I need, mean, but let's remember that sorghum's grown in places like Kansas, which is the leading sorghum-producing state. And what I think is happening is, what is sorghum? It's a dryland crop. Right. And what other big crop out there is a dryland crop? It's wheat. That's what's happening is that those sorghum makers are going to wheat. Which sorghum's very profitable. but wheat's even more profitable. Look at wheat prices and what they have done, well, particularly well, since the Ukraine situation. And I believe your answer is right there. I think you're seeing sorghum go to wheat age.
0: Okay, we've been talking about inputs and their impact on planting decisions. The Biden administration announced Thursday this week that the U.S. is going to be releasing oil from the strategic reserves, and that includes apparently million barrels a day over the next six months. Amazing how that aligns with the midterm elections, you know? The Biden administration considering as well temporarily removing summer sales restrictions for E15 gasoline, of course, that's the 15 percent corn ethanol, and that it cut the price of US fuel so that it lessen the price of inputs but what does that do to the demand for corn then yeah, it
2: definitely increases the demand for cord And you're going to see industrial usage. And that's one thing I figured when I was doing the supply <laughs> demand numbers that John talked about. Yeah, I did increase the demand for ethanol in that case. And, you know, it's interesting. Going to E10 to E15, John was asking me about that earlier this week and what effects would it have on mileage. It's about 3 to 4% less mileage that you get. So where's your trade-off? I buy it cheaper, but I get less miles per gallon. It's one of these things that's a sham. It's like the magic show, pull the rabbit out of the hat, but they don't tell you <laughs> that they've got plenty of rabbit. And plenty of hats, but look at this. This is the largest release from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve since 1984, and this would take us to the lowest levels. In 20 years in the SPR. And remember, what is the SPR for? Is to back up our military in the time that we have around the world. If there's ever a major conflict happening, and look how close we are to that cliff,
0: mm-hmm. then
2: we may have some of the lowest petroleum reserves we've seen in many, many years.
0: Real quickly here before we uh, check out livestock and what happened this past week, John, was the report a week from Friday, next Friday. Expect any surprises or anything out of that?
1: Oh, yeah, I'm expecting
0: surprises.
1: (laughs) I think we're going to get a watch report finally that's going to create some interest because the market's going to want to see how the USDA handles this cutback in corn acres and production and how they're going to adjust the demand and the carryover. That's going to be very, very interesting.
0: Well, and we're going to have another good program next week. David, uh, livestock this past week, kind of interesting because U.S. beef sales were down 17% from last week. But at 23,000 metric tons, that's a lot better than most weeks.
2: It is, because we've 12,000 to 17,000, and all of a sudden we got to 23,000. How did we get there? China, yes. And we've been talking about this for weeks now. China's been a very consistent buyer of beef, not pork. They only bought 600 tons of pork, but they bought seven point one thousand tons of beef. Japan bought 5.3 and we saw Korea bought 4.6. This beef demand staying up, and I do like it, and I like the consistency we're seeing. Plus, the other big surprise this week was the pig crop report. Oh, right. my goodness. Wow. You're talking about feed usage. We did see the numbers drop about 2% in all categories. And the biggest surprise was the kit for breeding. And when you look at sales farrowing down a percent, you look at intentions down almost 2% going forward, it was a big surprise to the trade. And it kind of, like, indicates what's going on right now. Farmers are seeing awfully good prices for their uh, hogs. And we're seeing very good spotted demand, especially here in the Indiana area. We're one of the largest uh, hog producers because of the slaughter plant up there in Michigan. They're a little cautious about expanding hog herds because we saw in China, they went from ground zero after the uh, African swine fever to O-producing by almost 20%. So it doesn't take long to make more piggies to make more hogs.
0: Well, if we can just get some nicer weather, boy, those ribs on the grill are gonna crank things up, I would guess. So hopefully uh, (laughs) some sunshine along the way. Okay, we can't get out of here. We never can, without giving John the final word. So, all right, John, you're up, bud.
1: Okay, I just want to mention the price ratio, of soybeans to corn. We've talked about that in the past, and that's a measure of profitability between the soybeans and corn. Now, a break-even level is with the price ratio at about 2.4. Now, that's taking the price of soybeans and dividing it by the price of corn and 2.4 is an approximate break-even number. It's going to vary from one part of the country to the next, but over the entire U.S., that's pretty much break-even. And we started talking about this uh, several weeks ago, and at that time, we were running right around 2.4, right around break-even. Since then, the ratio has gotten narrower, especially since the crop report came out. It is currently down to 2. Well below the break-even point what that tells you is, and you work the numbers and you'll see it very clearly, that the returns per acre on corn exceed that by soybeans by quite a bit. And so therefore, it's saying that I don't care what the cost of inputs are, you make more money by growing corn given a normal yield. And it's very rare that we see it down to to where it is this low happens. And I've seen it even lower than that, but it's unusual. But this year, it may go to 1.9 as the market is going to try to buy those corn acres. Keep your eye on that ratio, folks. That's an easy way to find out which crop makes you more money. Watch that ratio.
0: Well, there you have it, race fans. Coley and Cavanaugh, I know it went by pretty fast today, and there was a lot to digest. Make a note of it. These will be posted on the WoWo Farm page as podcasts, so you can go back and take a listen to them. Or if you've got friends or family that would like to listen to them, just make sure that you let them know. Cody and Kavanaugh, brought to you each week by the Allen County Farm Bureau, talking about the bonus benefits when you become a member of your local Farm Bureau. When you flash your Farm Bureau membership card, you get discounts on things like hotels, cha-ching, savings, and almost an endless list of great things. But like I we say the biggest benefit of a Farm Bureau membership is the way the Farm Bureau fights our battles on issues like taxes, waters of the U.S., broadband, and making sure the farm families can keep farming and keep it in the family. Support your local Farm Bureau by simply becoming a member. That's all it takes. Just go online to itpaystobeamember.org.
1: Podcasts
2: by Federated Media.